This is J.G. Hertz, the General Mar Talker on Deep Space Nine, and you're listening to Trek FM. Hello, and welcome to the series finale of Commentary Trek Stars, a show which deals with the work of Star Trek creators outside of Star Trek. I'm Mike. I'm John. <laughs> and today we're going to wrap up this thing which we've been doing for the past three and a half years. Yeah. Uh, it's been a long road. Oh, no, wait. Wrong show. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh, it's 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 been exciting, you know? 182 episodes. Um, we we always intended from the beginning to go exactly 182 episodes because we wanted to do seven seasons of 26 episodes each. I wonder where we got that from. Mm. Um, George Lucas. <laughs> yes, George Lucas. All good ideas come from George Lucas, of course. Very true. Very true. Um, <laughs> but, uh, yeah... Uh, we figure today we'd kind of just, uh, you know, do a little reminiscing, do a little um, consideration of, of, of what it is that we've learned and uh, what it is uh, we um, take away from this adventure. Yes, the, the human adventure that we, we have been experiencing for, uh, as you said, the last three and a half years. Three and a half years. Exactly. Now, I wasn't there for the very beginning, so... In case anybody came on sometime after that journey began, how did this all start, Mike? Well, of course, you know, I I was hosting with uh, Max uh, for the first, you know, like 100 plus episodes. Um, and Max, you know, and I did a show commentary, Track Stars, which was uh, an audio commentary uh, show uh, where we, we would do uh, each episode was an audio commentary for a different movie. And uh, you can find all those at CommentaryTrackStars.com, including, you know, we do all the Star Trek episodes and all that stuff. Um, I mean, Star Trek movies. But, uh, yeah, you know, th- we, we would do things with other podcasters occasionally, other people who would do audio commentaries. And there was this one guy uh, named Josh, Josh Bradley, who um, was a, a listener, and he contacted us, and he's like, hey, you know, I've I liked your Star Trek stuff. Have you, have you ever thought about doing, you know, Nemesis? And we're like, yeah, we, we, we have, you know. Would you want to join us? Because he did a, a show with his brother Justin called The Soulless Minions of Orthodoxy, which was obviously a reference to, well, not maybe not obviously. It wasn't obvious to me, but it's a <laughs> reference to, uh, to Deep Space Nine. Uh, a random line in Deep Space Nine. And uh, we had the two of them on to do sort of like a co-show. you know, show. Uh, And that sort of led to a, a pretty, you know, successful um, partnership. You know, we did a number of, of episodes with them, including Bring It On and um, Superman Returns and some other things. And uh, Josh was pretty hooked into the Star Trek podcast community not as a podcaster but as a listener and he was seeing all of these podcasts pop up this is right around the time that trek fm was starting um and he's like hey i want to start my own star trek podcast so he he you know contacts me and he says do you want to do it and i'm like 
that sounds really interesting, but I have zero time. I cannot commit to that. And he, at that point, he didn't even know what the show was going to be. And eventually he saw a gap, and that was the fact that there were no Voyager podcasts at the time. And he started up the Delta Quadrant, uh, which is now on Trekmate. But, you know, back then, in its early days, uh, Charlene was on the show along with Josh. And there was one time where I saw them talking on Twitter, and they were like, we lost the recording. We lost the show that we just recorded, and they were going through doing like reviews of every single episode, and they yeah. had lost Jatrell. And they're like, oh, God, well, when can we record it again? And, everything. and I'm looking at this conversation go back and forth on Twitter, and I'm like, hey, I've got an idea. What if you were to record an episode of our show, and then we could do Jatrell. Max and I could do Jatrell for you. And they're like, yeah, that sounds cool. Let's do it. So Max and I did an episode of the Delta Quadrant by ourselves, Jatrell. And we didn't hate it. But for some <laughs> reason, the impression from their listeners was like, these guys hate it, you know? And yeah. they trashed us, you know? <laughs> um, and everyone's like, why? I mean, you know, I think my, my favorite was someone who was like, next time you guys lose a recording, I would rather have you just not release an episode than get someone on who, you know, doesn't like the show. Zing. Yeah. And, you know, I mean, they were like fine with it. You know, Shar was always like, yeah, you know, I think you guys did a good job. You know, you, you're not huge Voyager fans, but that's okay. You weren't, you know, mean about it or anything like that. Your reasons were sound, whatever. You know, that's, yeah. that's the way it goes. But everyone else was like, and, and at this point in time, you know, I was like, wow, this, there's like a huge community. There's lots of people who listen and interact in, in Star Trek podcasts. Nobody interacts when it comes to movie commentary podcasts, you know. It feels like you're doing it in a vacuum. So <laughs> yeah. I'm like, well, this, I like this. I like this sense of community and all of these podcasters sort of like getting together. And one person who did listen to that show was Colin from Trek News and Views. Oh, there you go. And he emailed us and he's like, hey, I listened to your episode of the Delta Quadrant. I liked it. Do you want to come on my show? Trek News and Views, which is starting up again right now on uh, Trek FM. So check it yes. out. And we're like, yeah, of course. Sure. Yeah. So he had us on a bunch of times and we started to kind of like get involved in this this community. And it was a, a, a lot of fun. And this idea in the back of my head that Josh had planted there of like, y you want to do a Star Trek podcast was just sort of there. But at the same time, I always felt like, I mean, what do I have to say about Star Trek? I mean, yes, I'm a huge fan of Star Trek, but like compared to someone like, you know, Matt Hansen on the Delta Quadrant, I mean, come on, you know, there's no, right. I, what am I going to add to this conversation? And I started thinking about, you know, all these people who, you know, you, you would see them and they, they would watch Star Trek. They'd watch, you know, the original series, Next Generation. They'd go through and then when they get to the end of the series, they'd go back to the beginning and just rewatch everything. And this was like all that they were watching, all that they were consuming. And then you'd say something like, you know, hey, you're a huge Deep Space Nine fan. You know what? You, you like BSG, right? Battlestar Galactica because of Ron Moore and, and, and stuff like that. And they're like, well, I, I haven't watched it. And it's like, really? Because 
you you've seen Deep Space Nine like fifteen times, and the stuff that you say about it, like Battlestar Galactica, it would be right up your alley. Like you should totally check out this show. And At least like, the first two and a half seasons. Oh come on, <laughs> uh, we'll get into this later. But um, yeah, you know, and and they, you know, then they, you know, would based on you know our recommendation or whatever. And I'm like, that's cool. I'm like. There's a lot of people who love Star Trek, obviously, but, you know, just I, I think lots of people, you know, you're not you don't care about the filmmaking process or whatever. You're interested in, you know, sort of the science fiction aspect. You're interested in the actual story, the actual content and not really the making of the content. And, you know, you can see, well, I thought and I think we've shown that, you know, the people who have made Star Trek have made a lot of other things which are, you know, equally as good as Star Trek. And if you're a fan of Star Trek, you know, here's a, another thing which you might like, you know, because you love Wrath of Khan and you think that that's the most amazing piece of work ever, you know, check out Time After Time, you know? Right. It's, it's right. Awesome. It's, it's, it's like meeting somebody who uh, who's had, like, uh, vanilla and chocolate ice cream and you're like, well, hey, why don't you try Rocky Road? You might like that too. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So so that was kind of like the idea. And it, as far as like the format, like the, the whole like let's go through and do everything is because to me, I, I didn't want to just like talk the talk. I kind of wanted to walk the walk for myself, you know, where, you know, I was like, OK, I think Nicholas Meyer is a fantastic writer. And yet I've never read any of his novels. And you would think like you should be reading Nicholas Meyer's novels. Right. So. You know, we said, like, we're going to be very sort of formal about this. You know, if we're going to do a creator and talk about a creator, we're going to look at all of their work, not just pick and choose the things that we love, you know. And and there was also sort of a desire on our part, I think, to be to do like a show which was super formal because the other show that we were doing where it was like audio commentaries it was there was no editing involved or anything yeah. like that and it was literally like we're talking for 2 hours and if we go off topic we go off topic hey you know if we go so far off topic we'll create a new show called off topic that's how <laughs> off topic we go you know yeah. and like the idea was to be like extremely strict with with the format so i came up with this idea and i'm like man it's a great idea i still have no time to do it and I, I just tweeted, you know, just because people randomly tweet. I'm like, I came up with an idea for a Star Trek show, which I think would be really good. And I have no time to do it. And Drew, who I had known because he was looking for someone to do like a Star Wars revisited commentary. And he asked us to help out with that. And it had nothing to do with Trek FM. It's kind of weird how all these like Trek FM connections like came in through other places. He was like, sell it to Trek FM. And I'm like, oh, that's a that's a good idea. You know, I'm like, what what if I were to do it, you know, for like one of these Star Trek networks? So I told him the idea. He's like, yeah, that sounds good. Uh, Max and I recorded three pilots, the first three episodes to kind of give an idea of what the show would be. So one more pilot than the original Star Trek did. That's true. That's yeah, true. Did yourself. We we felt like we had to because the first show was going to be an introduction, then the yeah. second show was going to be about Gene Roddenberry's work on Star Trek, and that you know we wanted to at least get to an episode where we were talking about something other than Star Trek, you know. Sure, sure. So so we recorded those, and Drew put us in touch with Chris, 
and we're like, hey, Chris, um, we hear you're looking for shows. Like, at that point, they were looking for like, uh, they described them as like commuter length shows. You know, this is like in mm-hmm. Trek FM's relative infancy. You know, when you think about it, this is right around the time that To The Journey was starting and everything. And, you know, there was the Ready Room and, you know, some of the shorter things, but that was pretty much it. Trek News and Views was on there, but there wasn't much in terms of, of uh, podcasts, certainly nothing like it is now. And, you know, so, so we contacted Chris and we said, you know, hey, we're, we hear you're looking for shows. We recorded a pilot, you know, uh, so to take a listen and, you know, we'd love to join your network. And he wrote an email back and he's like, well, thanks. Um, we don't, we don't really do that. Um, but you know, but whatever, you're friends with Drew and Drew vouches for you. So, you know, I'll take a listen. And I'm like, that's cool. That's fair. You know, I appreciate yeah. that. You know, I, I, I more than appreciate that. And he, he got back to me and he's like, uh, yeah, we'd love to have you on the network. And I'm like, oh, my God. You know, that's I mean, that I, I don't know. You know, th- there have definitely been moments, you know, where like sure. people have like acknowledged, you know, the work that we've been doing and at that point we have been doing it for a couple of years and everything and but for someone to say like I I like what you're doing enough that I want you to join me. I'm like that's that's really cool. Sure. And sure. and I mean I've certainly learned a lot from from Chris uh over the years and you know we were doing the thing and it was it was great, you know, the title commentary Trek Stars. <laughs> I want, where where did you get the inspiration for that, Mike? I, I'm not sure. You were on a show called Commentary Track Stars, and then you had Commentary Trek Stars. I'm having trouble getting from A to B here. What was the step? The funny thing about that is, like, Max hates puns. He hates them. Like, that's it's like I don't think he finds anything more offensive than a pun. You know? Yeah. And we were talking about names i'm like what could we call it you know we get, the, the name that i kept on coming back to was beyond trek which now it's like well hmm, maybe <laughs> maybe that would have been a good idea but no um you know and and he i remember him like sitting there and he's like well there's an obvious choice and i'm like really what is it and he's like Are you kidding me and i'm like what i don't what what is it and he's like you you're really going to make me me say it and i'm like i don't know what you're talking about dude and he's like commentary trek stars and i'm like yeah yeah that's what it should be and he's like no 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 (laughs) in in hindsight it is rather unwieldy and everything like that but uh i wouldn't call it anything else i mean come on I, no, I, I don't think it's unwieldy at all it stands out it's a heck of a show and it's a heck of a name for a heck of a show and I think anybody would uh, gladly admit that. <laughs> I don't know. It's it, it it definitely creates some problems. It's it, no one knows what we're talking about, you know, anything like that. I put the colon in there to kind of make it work, sort of, not really, whatever. It is what it is. It's like one of the, I mean, hey, it's like one of those original series titles where you're like, what does that mean? At you least know? nobody ever transposes the first and last word of your podcast name. Right. Something well, I'm slightly familiar with. You've brought that upon yourself. I, you know what? I'm, <laughs> I'm taking the fifth on that one because that was my brainstorming idea. Okay, because I, I, words with nerds, and you know, yeah. I, every time I say it, I think, am I getting it wrong? Right? <laughs> words with nerds works perfectly well, but nerds with words works 
almost as well. And yep. the fact that Words with Nerds is what's the, the the address, the website for that? Oh yeah, no, I know Nerds Words. <laughs> I know, I know, and that is also the uh, the address. That's our uh, our Twitter handle. And I think that uh, I, I always got a kick because Max would always always go out of his way. And of course, you know, he would always <laughs> words with sabotage. So that was always a good yeah. one. Yeah. So so Max and I were doing this thing for, you know, a couple of years, you know, and, and you know, one of the things which we learned early on was that it was good to have a guest, to have a third person to talk about this stuff because, you know, we were talking about some obscure stuff, you know. I mean you, yeah. you look at some of those things like when we were doing like Nicholas Myers, you know, series and we we're talking about you know the uh, the book, which I, I always forget the name of it. Where it's the, he goes to like the Amazon to find like rubber tree plants or something. I I don't know. You know, it did was, he have to tell an ant that he couldn't lift it? It it, it was cra- It was like an it was like an Indiana Jones type of romance thing. I mean, he did it. Then he did the other one, which was his like autobiography with the the canary trainer. No, wait. Was the Canary Trainer the, the? Oh, I wasn't here for the Meyer series, okay. so I'm completely lost at this. Okay, point. I think the the Canary Trainer is is his Sherlock Holmes book, but then he did another one with a a bird thing, a bird okay. thing, and that was like his memoir, his like Catcher in the Rye. And anyway, these are things which people have never heard of. You know, we didn't even hear about these things, and we're like, okay, we need someone to come on and talk to them about. It. Hopefully, someone who knows about this stuff. You know, yeah. And you know, we we had you know, for when you're doing the seven percent solution, it's pretty easy to get you know, like John Tenuto, who's a you know a Nicholas Meyer expert who loves Sherlock mm-hmm. Holmes, or or you know, Augie Alexi, the guy who runs the Centuries and Sleuths bookstore down the street, you know, or my, my uncle who's a librarian, you know. But when you're doing the, the rubber plant tree, you know, book, it's it's harder, right? Yeah. It's, it's hard to find someone who wants to, to read that. And actually, Matt Rushing is the guy who did read that. I think he <laughs> probably regrets it to this day. But, you know, <laughs> we, we appreciate him doing that nonetheless. And, you know, at one point we were... Uh, looking for people for our Damon Lindelof series. And kind of the strategy which we had uh, come up with at that point in time was to go on Twitter to all of our podcasting friends and say, uh, what do you guys think about Cowboys and Aliens? <laughs> <laughs> and somebody spoke up. Somebody spoke up. It was you. <laughs> yes. And you were like, you, you said that you had something to say about Cowboys and Aliens. Yes, I did. Yes, I did. It it wasn't entirely positive either. And and I, and you said that up front, you know, yeah. which I think you you were trying to say like just so you guys are just so you guys know, you know. But, you know, our our take has has always been like that's not a prerequisite, you know. I mean, if you sure. don't if you don't like something, that's not an invalid opinion by any stretch of the imagination and we're not looking for people who are, you know, huge fans of everything we're looking for people who have a lot to say about whatever it is we're talking about you know and it sounded like you had a lot to say about cowboys and aliens so some of it coherent so we brought you on the show now at that point had you started with words with nerds yes uh i had been established with that uh for a little bit um because we had uh actually crossed paths on twitter uh, was was how we met because you made a completely insane comment about uh, the latter works of John Carpenter being 
more worthwhile than the earlier works, and uh, that's wrong. And I couldn't let that. I actually uh, that was back when I was blogging too. Okay, and yeah, I, yeah. I actually took you to task like on my blog. I was like, "There's this guy I'm talking to," and that was actually how I found out that. Like, because I didn't know that Max was also on the account, and that's how I oh, met Max yeah. too. Because he jumped in at one point, he's like, "Whoa, whoa, hey, hey, no, different opinion, different opinion." Not there's two of us, and there you go. Yeah, I, you know, it, it was weird. I like, I was trying to think of like, who, who did we know who you know bridged that gap? I mean, did you do anything on Trek FM prior to the Cowboys and Aliens? I think I might have been on a Ready Room before that. I think. Were you? Okay. Uh, yeah. Go, Memory is difficult for uh, older guys like me, uh, but um, like, how did you find Trek FM? Uh, I don't remember, honestly. I, I, no, dead serious. I, I, I was connected to somebody who uh, listened to Trek FM, and I happened to see it, and I, I think I had listened to like a Ready Room or two by that point. I was like, oh, I really like this. But then, like, I mean, the the only thing that really jumps out is. For some reason, I was following you, or some poor soul retweeted you mm-hmm. and your statement about Carpenter, and that just sort of like was the spark that set the world on fire. So yeah, yeah. I mean, I I stand by that. I know you know we we got into it. We got into like Kurt Russell and and all that yeah. stuff. You know, so, you, you know. We I actually like, we actually had a crossover debate. Um, yeah, we did. With, yeah, with, yeah. With the shows, uh, with commentary track stars and words with nerds debating the whole carpenter thing yeah and, and i mean then that was pre coming on to this show to discuss lindelof do you think that halloween is is his best movie is that what no, you're saying no no uh the latter stuff is because you're you were a big one for defending vampires and like ghosts of mars and stuff like that yes. that's wrong like carpenter's mm-hmm. great like fantastic solid body of work up to the thing and big trouble in little china and then it's sort of the muse leaves him after that. Yeah, I so. still disagree with that. I just watched Vampires again the other day. I got the Blu-ray. It was awesome. Uh, hey, listen, I gave ground on Vampires because I rewatched it. Because the, the in case anybody hasn't figured this out yet, who's listening, this is a this is a conversation between me and Mike that will never end. And yeah. I rewatched Vampires through the different lens of like, oh, it's a western instead of like an adaptation of the book. And I was mm-hmm. like. Oh, okay. Yeah, you know, this has its charm. And James Woods is always fun to watch. Yeah, he's um, awesome in that. And I also revisited and read the book that it was based on. And the book's not as good as I had remembered either. No. So I think that helped uh, even out my estimation of the movie. So, But that's the only one I'm giving ground on. Okay. Because I know like we were debating the merits of Kurt Russell as well. Um, oh, sure. And, you know, because I, I, I think Snake Plissken, I thought, just clearly... His his best role. Ever. Oh no! In the in the thing, or big trouble, thing. or or big trouble in Little China. I mean, you know, you're splitting hairs at that point. I mean, that's Cause, prime cause Russell were, right there. Well, you were talking about Tombstone as well. Oh, Tombstone's great, and you still haven't watched it. Uh, actually, I did watch. it. Oh, you did watch it, <laughs> and and I, I thought it was pretty good. Pretty good. Yeah. All right. That's. I thought it was. That's pretty the good. best I'm going to get. I mean, Fine. look. You're saying that it's like one of Russell's best performances ever? Yes. Okay, it that's is. crazy. That's insane. It's not crazy. It's absolutely correct. I mean, he's fine in it. You know, he's great in it, and Val Kilmer's great in it, and Billy Bob Thornton and Sam Elliott, and it is kind of like an insane cast of like yeah. every, every 
person who I thought was like an obscure actor when I was like, oh, you know, Michael Bean, he was in Aliens, you know, Mm -hmm, Bill Paxton, mm -hmm. he was in Aliens, you know. I mean, it's like everyone like that is in this movie. I mean, it's insane, the cast. And Dana Delaney's in it, too. Yeah, Dana Delaney's in it, you know, Lois Lane. And that's a really weird storyline that they have. But, you know. What? But, but, I mean, the thing is, it's all, well, it's all based on a true story. So, you know, it must be accurate. Yeah, Uh, maybe, maybe. If Oliver Stone can get away with saying that, so can I. (laughs) Yeah, you 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 got you got me that DVD, and it's like the Vista series one, and yeah, I I got you the DVD instead of the Blu-ray because director's cut. Yeah, that's the which way is to a go. couple of minutes longer and definitely more worth it, and that's why, uh, even though I hate buying physical media, um, if they ever release the director's cut on Blu-ray, I'm gonna buy that in a heartbeat. Just like, just like Star Trek Two, they're releasing the director's edition on Blu-ray as, June seventh, as yeah. was predicted, mm-hmm. and. Uh, Snatching that one, <laughs> yes, you betcha. It, it's it was funny because you can get that on iTunes, right? And like, I, I was like, you can get it on iTunes. I'm totally getting it. And 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 there was like a debate on the Babel conference and stuff, you know, with like Drew and some other people. And they're like, uh, I wonder how the how it looks. And I'm like, I don't care. It's in HD. It's the director's edition. It's going to be the best version available. I'm totally getting it. And they're like, we'll get it. And then let us know what you think. And I'm like, okay, well, I'm not going to buy it until I I'm, I need to watch it. Because mm-hmm. inevitably what will happen is as soon as I buy it, they're going to announce that it's coming out on Blu-ray. Mm-hmm. And um, I finally got to the point where I had to buy it because I was showing it to my family. So I bought it. And literally two weeks later, <laughs> they announced that it's coming out on Blu-ray. And I'm like, yep, yep. That's of the way it works. course. Mm-hmm. And it truly so is the superior version of the film. It is. I'm waiting to see whether or not the iTunes version will automatically update to the new transfer. I'm guessing probably not. You know, I was I was actually having a debate with a friend today uh, at lunch talking about um, digital versus physical. And um, he said, you know, oh, for my money, I want to have something in my hands. And I'm like, yeah, but with digital, you know. God forbid the house gets burgled or burns down or whatever when we're you know we're on vacation or something like that. Like I will, I won't have to replace it. It's just there. And he actually asked that question. He said, "Yeah, but if they do a new transfer, will it update?" And I was like, "That's I don't know." So that's this what, will be a great test yeah. case. Well, that's what they did with "Fast as You Can," Fiona Apple's music video that Paul Thomas Anderson directed. Somewhere along the line, this is a, a, a music video which is in 4 by 3 primarily, yeah. one, 3, 3 to 1, but there are certain sequences where they letterbox it to 2, 3, 9 to 1, and um, it's playing with that idea, the idea of cropping and pan and scanning and you know, all that stuff. Somewhere along the line, someone decided that the entire video should be cropped to 2, 3, 9 to 1. And that's the only version which exists anywhere. And thank God I found on my old laptop, I had downloaded it off of iTunes, and I was able to nice. take that original file and save it for myself. But, yeah, so it's, it's tricky. I don't know. Mm-hmm. We'll see. Well, if if there is anything that this show has helped me uh, gain an appreciation for, it's proper masking. <laughs> and uh, I think that anybody that's listened to you for a time, uh, if they don't, uh, truly take offense when people screw up aspect ratios because I do now too. 
And I just and it's it's an important it really is a more important thing than people give it credit for. So I, I think I think you're doing the Lord's work right now yeah. with educating people on that. Well, thank you. I appreciate it. You know, at least uh, at least something that people can get out of this show, hopefully. And I wish everybody could have read your uh, <laughs> your letter to the uh, the film critic about uh, Dr. Strangelove. Oh, yeah. 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 yeah the aspect ratios for Dr. Strangelove are very strange. Um, but uh, I can tell you definitively that it should be one six six to one. Don't let anyone tell you differently. Yeah. I won't. <laughs> So, so that Cowboys and Aliens uh, episode, it went pretty well, and and we had you back for a number of uh, a number of episodes, and they all went pretty well too. And it eventually got to a point where you know Max and I had kind of decided that it's hard finding someone each and every week to come on and talk about this really obscure stuff, and to who's willing to put in the time and everything. And we were like, you know, we should just get a third person, another host who, you know, will will do it the same way that we're doing it. And we, you know, thought about, you know, people who we, who we knew and everything like that. And, you know, one person who kind of stood out because we had really good chemistry with him and also because uh, he tended to have a vast knowledge outside of Star Trek was you. Spoilers. Yeah, spoiler. <laughs> and it was a great uh, uh, honor, compliment, flattering. I was thrilled, actually, to come on board. Really yeah, well, was, because well, I had so much fun, uh, you know, beforehand. And it's been awesome, man. I love yeah, it. Yeah, well, we, we, were, we were thrilled to have you, and, and still are, you know. I'm, I, I definitely think the show uh, got better you know, when, when you joined us. So, Oh, you flatter, you flatter. That's, I, I, I think there are plenty of people who could debate that point, but thank you. That's very nice to say. Okay. So, you know, we've talked about, I think I counted 116 non-Trek works by Star Trek creators. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, out of all of those, and I know that you weren't there for all of those, but you know, you don't need to limit it to the ones that you were there for. Sure. Which one stands out to you as, you know, the best, you know, if you had to pick one, because the, the whole idea for this show when it first came about was to say to people like, you like Star Trek, go watch this thing or read this thing. It's amazing. You know, so if there was only one thing that you could tell Star Trek fans to watch or read or listen to, what would it be? Man, one thing to watch or read out of everything that we did. Oof. Uh, you go first because I need an extra second to think this through because I, I, need a, I need a second. I need a second to gather my thoughts on that. Okay. For, for me, it's Battlestar Galactica, the, the Ron Moore show. Um, I think that this is most likely the best show I've ever seen. Um, there's, you know, a few shows which I'm, I'm watching now, you know, which I haven't seen, like Breaking Bad. I'm still going into the last season. You know, maybe that's better. I don't know. It but is. out of <laughs> out of the ones that I've seen, I, nothing tops BSG. And I think looking at it in the context of Star Trek is really interesting, too, because it's an example of a creator who was born and raised in Star Trek. You know, he mm-hmm. his first job was literally working in Star Trek, and we saw his career progress over the span of, you know, a decade or whatever in the franchise. 
you know, until he, you know, went by the time he left, he was one of the elite writers in television. And he's had, a, you know, a massive career since. I mean, right now he's, you know, running a s- extremely popular show, Outlander, and it's, it's also a very good show. But Battlestar Galactica seems to me to be his masterpiece, and I think one of the things which is really interesting about it is he seems to have taken what he learned on Star Trek very, in a very direct sort of way and applied it to the creation of this show. Mm-hmm. Battlestar Galactica, to me, feels in a lot of ways like what the follow-up to Deep Space Nine should have been. You know, what yeah. what Star Trek should have done in the early aughts. And, uh, yeah, I think it's it's probably the best show ever. And, and I know you're saying, like, the first two and a half seasons are. I am. That's crazy because no. the end of season three is quite possibly the best hour in television history. I don't know. No. <sighs> I love it. I love everything up until the very last scene I have a problem with. But, uh, you know, what can you do? Uh, the way I've always referred to uh, Ron Moore's Battlestar Galactica is uh, it, it started like a really um, beautiful, complicated, triple Lindy dive. And then all of a sudden it looked like it was going to be that, you know, they were going to miss the pool completely. And you're like, oh, my God, this is going to be terrible. But then it turned into a belly flop. And you're like, well, okay, it could have been worse. I don't know. Like, like, I I, I don't know what it is that, you know, and I've heard this before. I don't know what Mm -hmm. it is that that people have a problem with. Like, what was the moment where you were like, oh, no, Uh, I I, I will. I won't lie. I thought that. where it went was uh, the first two seasons were, were marvelous, fantastic, wonderful, truly a reboot, like a reimagining. Like it was like, here's the show you watched, and here it is with a budget and a team of writers, and not just trying to you know spin a real quick Star Wars ripoff out there. Like this is, let's put some real science fiction behind this and get it working. And it was like, yeah, I'm all about this. I am on board. And then uh, the metaphor became too too transparent and it it felt like the the pacing at the beginning of when they were on you know what i call mud planet um <laughs> like it just it just suddenly just got messy and detoured and the the storytelling seemed to miss a beat and it seemed it seemed a lot like to me the the first half of the third season of lost where it was like okay i'm with you guys but this doesn't feel quite right this isn't the same tone. This isn't, you don't quite have me here. And then at the midway point, we talked about this, like that insane effect sequence where the, you know, the, where Galactica is coming through the atmosphere and the flames and the fighters shooting out and the music's playing. You're like, oh, this is great. This is amazing. And that was the moment that it picks back up. And you're like, wow, great. And then the end of season three, when they had that big reveal. And I, honestly, my reaction was, really? That's what you're going to go with. And that was the moment where it completely alienated me. And I stuck with it just to stick with it after that point. And the first half of season four, I almost didn't come back for the second half of season four. And I finished it out of a sense of duty. And I was glad I did because it eventually got to the point where I was like, okay, tolerable again. That's okay. 
Yeah, that's that's crazy. I don't know. I mean, like to me, I I agree with you that it, it, the way that it started up and you know that it was you know a, a a legit reboot. You know, taking this idea and applying it to you know the present day. You know, not only in terms of you know the aesthetic and everything like that, and and the budget, but also in terms of you know the themes and stuff like that. And and I thought that that was great. And then, you know, what you're talking about, Mud Planet, you know, when they did that stuff, that to me elevated it to another level because it said, we're taking this seriously. We're not doing the same thing on a weekly basis. We're not just going to have space battle after space battle. We're going to take a few episodes where we look at another side of this, of this, uh, you Mm -hmm. know, universe. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's really cool. I thought it was very compelling, even though it was very far from where it had started. I was I, I liked the fact that they went somewhere different. And as far as the reveal, no. I mean, no, Robot Chicken had the best had the best parody of that. Did you ever see it where they had no. Ron Moore on Robot Chicken when they brought because Robot Chicken's whole conceit? Uh, I don't know if it's still doing this. It you know it was back in the earlier days of, of robot chicken, I guess um, they would always quote unquote, get canceled at the end of every season. And then the first episode of the next season would be them being brought back from cancellation. Mm-hmm. And so they, they were coming back. It was their third or fourth or whatever. And they had Ron Moore there, you know, you have a little stick figure Ron Moore, but he's a uh, claymation or whatever. And, um, and it's really Ron Moore talking and he, and like, how are you possibly going to bring robot chicken back? He goes, I'll just make you guys Cylons. Like, you can't just make people Cylons. And he turns his head to the side and he just throws darts blindly at the dartboard. He goes, there, see? Cylon, Cylon, Cylon. That's not... And that that's just not about sums up my feelings on the reveal. But, okay, okay. But here, that that reveal, whatever, that's one part of it. There's that where you're like, whoa. No. Because it, it really is like, whoa, what does this all mean? And, you know, then there's the fact. I mean, to me, the the most intriguing part of it. I mean, then there's the other person who they bring back where you're like, what? But the most intriguing part about that whole thing was the song. Because that was like, what? Wait, wait, wait. What? What? What does that mean? What does, does that, that mean? That, mean? Does that mean that Jimi Hendrix was a Cylon? Well, I didn't know what it meant. You know, but I, what it meant to me was this show can do anything like who knows what it means and i remember seeing it i watched it live and i i literally like shot up mm-hmm. from my chair and started pacing back and forth and like you can ask my wife she was there i'm like i don't i don't i don't i don't know i don't know and then i'm like the, the only person i know who's watching this you know live is max right but I couldn't even call him up because he wasn't watching it as it aired. He was like yeah. recording it, you know? So I knew that he wouldn't see it until like tomorrow. And I'm like, yeah. I can't even call him. And we need to wait like a day. I don't, I don't know. What does this mean? What does this mean? And, but, and then you had to wait a year for the next one. And and, and it was the longest year of Mike Schindler's life. It was. That was my best of both worlds. Um, <laughs> for sure. I mean, no doubt, you know? And, but just the there was so much that it just made you think about you know there were so many endless possibilities sort of like on a philosophical level that i mean that to me is just the ultimate the the ultimate in terms of television storytelling anything and then after that when they come back you know 
and like they they've talked about this how like you know Edward James almost would do interviews and he's like oh season four it's dark just just get ready because it's dark and it really mm-hmm. is sort of like this descent into hell and then when they tie everything together at the end I thought they did mm-hmm. it perfectly mm-hmm. and then you know they got to the goal line like literally like the one yard line Mm -hmm. and then they kind of fumble it and then just sort of like jump on it as as like you know (laughs) the the clock expires you know and then they sort of like limp to victory (laughs) now now see okay see i i'll give you i'll I'll take your metaphor and i'll i'll say the way i see it is there was this long pass and the receiver's going but then he starts showboating and it's he's getting he's getting to the other side's 18 yard line and the guy comes mm-hmm. up behind him and bats the ball down and it's bouncing all over the field and they're running around for 18 yards it's going side to side and the guy picks it up and you think oh my gosh they're going to turn it around boom no he gets hit and the ball flies up in the air and then somebody else gets it and then they do cover it in in the end zone but there will forever be that debate but did the knee hit beforehand and there are going to be people that say that the refs cheated and there are going to be other people that say that the refs didn't and there are going to be people that, like me that just said I'm glad the game's over <laughs> You know, I mean, there's, it's weird because I've had this this conversation with a lot of people and everyone talks about the ending and how they dislike it. But then, like, if you delve into it, you find that people are talking about different things. Like mm. something that, that I always hear, you know, people talk about is the fate of Starbuck and having a really big problem with that. I, no, I didn't have a problem with the fate of Starbuck. I didn't have a problem with I just, that at all. I just thought the, I thought the, I, I'm talking about the season as a whole. Okay. It it yeah. was messier than a fight in a Zack Snyder movie. For me it's it's just one single thing and it's the fact that they came down hard on a definitive explanation for religion, you know? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Because I think the, mm-hmm. what one of the things that this show did so well was deal with, you know, it was it was an allegory for, you know, us today the world right Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and you know religious war and and all this stuff and like people and their belief structure and how it shapes their lives and everything like that and Mm -hmm. i think that they did some really interesting stuff and turning things around in order to like make people examine you know not only what they believe but also what they believe about what other people believe you know and everything like that and there was always sort of that question of like well who's right and the show was always kind of like how no one knows you know how would Mm -hmm. you know you know Mm -hmm. and then in the at the end at the very end they're like this is how it is and it's like really guys really like you're gonna actually just say like oh these guys were right what Mm -hmm. that's so Mm -hmm. stupid yeah I have a problem with that. Mm. I have a really big problem with that because they, I mean, they handled it so well for all that, all that time, you know, it wasn't about who was right or who was wrong or what it was actually real. It was about how people related to each other because of what they believed, you know, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. that bothers me. That bothers me. That, that's the one thing. Mm -hmm. That's the only thing about the Mm -hmm. ending, which I dislike, but Mm -hmm. you look at that finale on the whole, oh my God, it's amazing. I I believe that your passionate belief in that show is a tribute to you, good sir. All right, but Fair I will ne- I will never agree with you. Uh, but uh, you know what? Actually, while while we're sitting here talking, you know what I really enjoyed was um, going back and revisiting uh, what we called the Captain Kirk of Hawaii, seeing Magnum <laughs> PI Jerry PI. Taylor's time on that, yeah. because we got to visit some of the greatest episodes of a great show. 
And yeah, there is a little bit of, of a nostalgia factor for me going back to sort of the childhood years of television and everything, but also the simple fact that you got to see back when they were willing to give fans because that the tail end of Magnum PI is fascinating to watch because it was specifically tailored for they wanted to end it and then they brought it back for one more season to give fans that bow that that plus and uh so I you know I think that was a real highlight of of the stuff that we looked at and I would invite anybody if you really want to see a show that captures the mood and the feel of television and what it was capable of back then. I think Magnum PI is a good show to go catch. Definitely. Yeah. You know, like doing the Jerry Taylor series was really interesting for me because, you know, it touched on a lot of these classic shows from Mm -hmm. like the eighties and they were all shows, which I had never really seen before. You know, Mm -hmm. I mean, surely I was aware of Magnum PI. Like I remember it as being something that, like my uncle and my grandfather watched, you know, like I, I'd re- yeah. I'd remember them saying like, oh, Magnum P.I. is on. And I'd be like, I don't know what that is. And I don't really <laughs> care. You know, I, I was not at all interested in television at, at that point in my life. And, you know, you, you had like that and, uh, you know, Quincy and. Oh, Hil- Quincy M.E. What yeah. a delight- delightful show. So, you know, I mean, things like that, you know, things which I would normally never be exposed to because, I mean, in all honesty, it's like I'm not going to sit down and watch Magnum P.I. from beginning to end when I could be watching, you know, The West Wing. You know what I mean? So <laughs> I'd take Magnum P.I. first. That's just okay. me. Yeah, I mean, I did, I did not, nothing against Magnum P.I., but, you know, no. <laughs> yeah. But, you know seeing these shows getting these little glimpses of it you know what was i think uh, a lot of fun for me because what was happening was what we were trying to do for other people you know i yeah. mean there there were, there were lots of times where like people would almost well not almost people would criticize us and say like why are you doing an episode on this when y- neither of you have seen it it's like you don't you don't know what you're talking about and we're really huge fans of this thing and you're not doing it the justice that it deserves because you don't know anything about it. And you know my, my response to that was always like well we're discovering it. You know, I mean that's right. a big part of this show. I mean that's sort of like our our mandate for other people is, you know, let's see what else is out there and you know go check this out. You know, you're a yeah. Star Trek fan check out, you know, Magnum P.I. because, you know, Jerry Taylor, you know, she did maybe the best, ep- no, well, not maybe, she she did the best season of, of Next Generation. And, you know, I want to see what she did on Quincy because I trust her talent, you know? And, yeah, you know, for, for us, you know, that we, we, were, we were lots of the time doing the same thing, you know? We were discovering along with the audience and, uh, you know, that, that was that well, was a lot of fun. Yeah, and, and the thing is, it also helped illustrate, I mean, you know, our most recent, uh, you know, examining Justin Lin, his Star Trek work hasn't even been released yet. Yeah. But you're able to look at everything that leads up to it. What does it tell, what is getting carried forward? What can we expect? What can we see that's a constant theme? Mm-hmm. And so that's why you can go back to, you know, Quincy or Magnum P.I. Are there certain things that, these people like to bring out about their characters that they like to carry forward is there some sort of 
you know, uh, writing trope that they they like to fall back on? Or is there something where you can see that it's an anomaly and, you know, it, it, it doesn't really seem to, you know, speak to anything except they're still trying to hone their craft. And so, yeah, I mean, it's all it I mean, all great fun and all very valid just because. You know, I like there are just so many things I, I probably I never even would have probably read the book Psycho. Yeah. If not for this show, because I'd seen the movie. Why was I going to read the book? Mm-hmm. But then we were going to cover it. And it's like, you know what? Well, why not read the book? And, you know, and you can find out and compare it to the movie and find out, well, the writer, you know, what did that inform about the work that he did on Trek? Is there something in there that I can see that he carried forward or that he liked to explore or, or something like that? Yeah, and and you know that that's that was the other thing is like you could you, by looking at things like that and seeing like themes which you see travel through their other works, then when you go back and you watch their Star Trek stuff again, those themes and everything, things which you wouldn't have necessarily thought of as being their trademarks, start to pop out, and you kind of see like what it is that they brought to the table that they brought to the franchise and you know that's that's pretty cool yeah i mean what you and what you're talking about with like psycho you know i mean that the same thing can be said for me with you know richard matheson and you know, I know <laughs> that you you joined us for uh <laughs> legend uh, of hell house yeah um yeah but like we read a lot of richard we read every single richard matheson novel which had been adapted into a movie you know in the span of like two months which is insane wait a minute who, who? Oh gosh, he was the one that did "What Dreams May Come" too. Yeah, yeah. Oh yeah. yeah. See, that that's when weird, that's man. when we knew that that you were our guy because it's like this guy is willing to read like two books, you know, in in addition to watch these movies and they're books which he either has already read or movies which he's in love with, and you know that that's 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 cool okay this is this is the guy that we should have on our show for sure you're you're lucky i've had so many commutes that are long where i don't have to drive and i can just read Mm -hmm. or in the modern age watch movies on ipad yeah yeah i mean audible audible is definitely uh becoming a a friend of me yeah (laughs) and i mean yeah i'm i'm a very slow reader i'm not someone who reads a lot of novels you know for, for the most part and, you know, to read, like, seven Richard Matheson books in the span of two months, like, seven, like one a week. It was literally one a week. It's like that would never happen in a million years if I wasn't forced to do it. But I'm so glad that I did it because you look at things like I Am Legend, you know, and, and they're just so great, you I mean, know. Come on. I Am Legend is a book so good that they, uh, they still haven't managed to adapt it properly. Although they came film. pretty close with... Uh, the last one, I think. Uh, they came very, very close. But then... The, the, um, the alternate cut, the director's cut, with the alternate ending. All right. So what what about uh, the creator with, with the most impressive body of work on the whole? You know, I will, I will be stunned if we don't have the same answer. Okay, because I'm actually going to be surprised if we do. William Shatner. <laughs> okay. All right. We don't have the same answer. We don't? I mean, oh, I'm stunned. I mean, I, I can definitely see it, though. I mean, well, what's, what's, your, what's your thinking behind uh, well, No, just the fact that Shatner has reinvented himself and what he does, and he doesn't stay in a single genre. He bounces around. He does what he, whatever he wants to do. It's whatever catches his fancy, and he, 
like you know if you go through and you even see his uh you know when he reinvented himself as sort of zany bill shatner that would show up in movies like dodgeball or even free enterprise and it was you know uh or when he got ambushed in one of the worst movies i've ever watched uh festival in can um it really wasn't that bad <laughs> it was awful it was awful and you need to admit it to yourself mike please nah. please if there's one final parting show gift you could give me and the audience it's please admit that that movie is terrible we've watched but it's way not his worst fault. movies than that but that doesn't mean that that's good no i mean i don't that's think all it was, i'm saying i don't think it was bad nah it wasn't bad but yeah yeah i mean shatner's always a joy i mean for me shatner's always a joy he shows up on screen and i'm instantly happier uh i don't think we covered loaded weapon one national no. lampoon's loaded weapon one yeah we didn't but it was yeah. great in that he was awesome in that and you know i i would say that uh he also uh you know of all the creators that that we have looked at if there's one work that i wish we could have uh visited although maybe it would have been tough to talk about um in the context of a whole show is uh his album has been which is an absolutely brilliant and wonderful album that is you know affecting it's it's everything that shatner is which is bold and different and unpredictable yeah uh i mean i i agree with that and and like when we were originally pitching this show you know and talking about like we don't you know we we want to think outside of the box you know we don't want to just do of course we want to do like all of Ron Moore's television shows, right? Sure. But we don't want to just do that. We want to do weird, crazy things too. Yep. Like, you know, and, and one of the examples which we always brought up was, you know, William Shatner's albums, you know, because mm -hmm. they're all unique and crazy and great. And it's like, that would make for a great show. And we never got around to that, which is very disappointing, but you know. Hey, there's do? a, you know what? That This is, uh, this is our parting gift. Go on Spotify because it's on Spotify and listen to Has Been by William Shatner. Yeah. You yeah, will not regret thing. it. Especially, it's, it's, especially uh, his cover of the song Common People, which is yeah. just brilliant. Amazing. I mean, yeah. there's, you know, you, you can w listen to Transformed Man. I love Transformed Man. I've got the original album hanging up on my wall over there, you yeah. know, and it's great. But at the same time, it's kind of great in a, you know, like campy, fun, like, I can't believe that this thing exists sort of yep. way. You like it and, in an ironic fashion. Yeah. And, you know, with with his later albums, like, I love the fact that there is a cover of Bohemian Rhapsody by William Shatner. That's <laughs> insanely awesome, you know, but has been is straight up legit great music yes. you know yes so, and, I, and i think that uh ben folds had a lot to do with that but to speak oh, yeah. to your the the crazy albums thing um the futurama episode where they're being <laughs> held captive and walter koenig has the line while shatner's doing slim shady <laughs> up yep. on stage and he goes <laughs> how do how do you do a spoken word version of a rap album <laughs> And then Melkor goes, he found a way. Yep. If anyone could do it, it was Shatner. <laughs> yep. That episode of Futurama, by the way, was written by a uh, Star Trek writer. So uh, there you oh, go. Oh, that, that makes sense. That mm -hmm. totally makes sense. So is there anything, is there a piece of work? Okay. First off, who's your, your favorite creator? And is there a piece of work that you wish we could have gotten to? 
All right. Well, my 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 favorite creator, I think. You know, I mean, I I see what you're saying with Shatner, and certainly he's very diverse in terms of you know acting, music, directing, you know, writing, you know, all that stuff. And, uh, and I mean, I think Nicholas Meyer is the same way in 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 a lot of things. You know, he's he's a very good director, but he's also written like a, a million books. And I've read every single one of them. That's so cool. You know, I mean, like I that never cool. would have read any of these things, but you know, it, because of this series I did, which I, I think is awesome. Um, but if there's one creator who, you know, when I look at his entire body of work, I'm just extremely impressed uh, uh, by everything that he's done. Well, not everything, but by most of the things that he's done. It's J.J. Abrams, and I know I'm going to take uh, a lot of crap for that because no, that's you know fair choice, fair choice. But I mean, and I know that a lot of people will be like, you're wrong, you're wrong, you're wrong about all of this stuff. But I mean, we just talked about everything that he produced and how, you know, it has such a great track record. And I think there's um, a reason for that. You know, I think that, uh, honestly, I, you can make the comparison to Chris, you know, Christopher Jones. Um, if if he's going to put the Trek FM name on something, it's going to be of, of a certain quality. You know, he's not going yeah. to let... Things and there, you know, there's plenty of times where you know you'll do something and he'll be like, "Uh, you need to fix that," and that sort of like causes us to all elevate our game and is one of the reasons why there's such a uh, a high standard on all of these these podcasts. And I think that JJ has a lot of that going on, um, yeah. on uh, you know, his his productions, but then you look at like the stuff that he's actually made himself, you know, whether it's his TV shows like alias. I I love alias. I love it so much, you know, or his direction on the pilot for lost. I thought it just blew me away when I first saw that, you know, it's amazing, you know, and in other shows that he's helped create like fringe and, and, uh, you know, stuff like that. They've all been great. And then you look at the movies that he's directed and like, aside from super eight, you know, every single movie that he's directed has been my number one movie of that particular year, you know, which is an insanely high level of consistency. I mean, how do you, how do you do that? You know, I mean, I guess part of it is just that what he's doing and what I like to see are like completely, you know, matched, you know, one-to-one, you know, I mean, the only person who I can really think of who you know, is sort of more on my wavelength than him is probably Paul Thomas Anderson, you know? Oh, you know, you just disappointed everybody because they were expecting to hear Steven Soderbergh. Steven Soderbergh is definitely up there, and so is Quentin Tarantino. But as far as, like, popcorn filmmakers are concerned, J.J. Abrams, I mean, it's, it's crazy. It's crazy how good of a director he is and people make fun of him for his lens flares and his style or whatever i think that his style is amazing and i will watch any movie that he makes ever um because i know that it's going to be fantastic you know so i i I have i have to go with jj abrams if i'm going to be completely honest i know that people are going to be like that's so typical mike but you know what that's just the way it works. I'm sorry. I can't... Uh... I think I think it's fair. I, I do. Abrams is a very gifted filmmaker. I personally think he's a better producer than director overall. I think that he's really good at steering the the ship overall and making sure that the, the creatives have everything that they need available to them. 
just based on his body of work. There are, there are of course, some standout films that he's done on his own, but you know, Bad Robot's an amazing studio because they put out really quality stuff uh, all the time, which I think speaks to your point. But I don't, you know, I don't think that there's any. Pro- I think that, I think that it's possible that among Trek fans, there's. I think that Into Darkness will forever remain a. Uh, it's it's sort of like uh, Trek fandom's uh, Phantom Menace. There's a definite mm-hmm. war that will never resolve itself over that movie, um, and uh, so I, I think that um, if people can step away from the Into Darkness aspect of it and look at his other works, like personally, I think it's it's mind blowing for me because I think Super Eight is one of his better works compared to the others. Um, but that one was the one that wasn't your number one for that year. Is that just because that was a strong year or is that just because that ending was terrible? No, just on the whole, it did not, um, live up to expectations for me. Um, I mean, I, I think that it's a good movie, you know, but there's some stuff about it where I'm just like, uh, you know, like the whole thing with the, you know, the alien and hiding the alien and what, what is it? You know, what is this thing? I was just kind of like, I don't, care you know mm-hmm. like i think a lot of people said like if they had taken out the monster a- aspect and just made it like a story about these kids like trying to make a movie or whatever it would have been much better and i, I agree with that but i mean i do think it is a, a really good movie but i don't think that it's up to um his his normal standards so hmm. yeah. see i thought it was great and i would have kept the monster except for the uh pulling the rug out from underneath the audience and, you know, basically, yeah, it's a psychotic murdering monster, but it's our fault. Yeah. And it was kind of yeah. like, oh, well, all right. <laughs> I mean, I could, you could still have the monster get away, but don't try to make me feel, you know, the thing ate a town. Mm-hmm. That's, it's kind of, that's kind of a jerk thing to do. Yeah. 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 Okay. So, yeah, I mean, you asked me like what, if there is like one piece of work mm-hmm. that, that, you know, we could we could have covered that we didn't cover it's going to sound weird but uh, it's it's domino uh tony scott's film really <laughs> yeah about uh about domino harvey which was photographed by dan mendel who uh is jj abrams's cinematographer who shot you know into darkness and uh star trek 09 as well as you know the force awakens and all this stuff yeah dan mendel is I think an amazing cinematographer and Domino, I think in a lot of ways is his masterpiece because it is straight up insane. Uh, have you seen it? No, I have not. Okay. I, I, you have to see it. It's great. It's a great movie on the whole. The editing in particular is fantastic, but it's Tony Scott, late Tony Scott. So, you know, it's, it's, it's going to be extremely trippy, but it's based on this true story about this woman named Domino Harvey, who was Lawrence Harvey's daughter, Lawrence Harvey, the star of the Manchurian mm-hmm. Candidate. Yeah. And she, he, you know, she was his daughter, and she grew up in Beverly Hills and basically hated it, hated everything about the lifestyle, completely rebelled, and became a bounty hunter. And uh, this is her story. But wow. it's her story... Like, just to give you an idea of, like, what type of movie this is, it starts off, the very first thing you see is, this is based on a true story, sort of. And huh. everything that's done in it is is 
sort of this extremely amped up crazy version of this thing, which to begin with is insane. It's written by the guy who wrote Donnie Darko. Um, it was directed by Tony Scott. Um, the the editing it's edited by the guy who did the Fast and Furious movies, uh, but it's just this this extremely like nonlinear crazy thing. I mean, it starts off in the most explosive way with like you know Mickey Rourke plays this bounty hunter. He's got all right, um, all right. <laughs> you can stop selling it to me because I'm like, wow, I'm into this. I'm into this. Mickey Rourke done sold fine. I'm gonna yeah. rent it. I'm gonna watch to, it. To, just to, just to, to add a little cherry on top. It's got yeah. um. Ian Ziering, that's the guy from, from Beverly yeah, Hills. Well, he's now of Sharknado fame. Okay, he plays himself in this. Nice, and and he plays like an integral role in this in terms of like the overall story. It's got Christopher Walken shows up at one point. It's, it's okay. Amazing. All right, stop now. <laughs> yes, now I'm I'm about to just stop everything and go watch it. That yeah. sounds awesome. And the photography, it doesn't look anything like, you know, it's not lens flares all over the place or anything like that. It looks like it's, it, there's a lot of weird things which are done with color and grain and, and you know, overexposing, well, yeah, underexposing, I mean, fast motion, slow motion. It's yeah. crazy. Yeah, well, I mean, Tony Scott really liked uh, grain. I remember from, I think, True Romance, he started really, yeah. really breaking through with, with that sort of look. Yeah, yeah, and you look at his later things like Man on Fire and stuff like that. They all have that sort of look, and I think Domino is the best. I think it's the best Tony Scott movie, honestly. Sold. I'm so gonna, see, see, you look at this. This is the last show, and I'm still getting assignments for things that I have to watch. <laughs> and since he followed through and watched Tombstone, I I have to honor that. I, I would recommend Josie and the Pussycats over <laughs> Domino, but you know. Uh, you know what? I promise you this. I will watch Josie and the Pussycats before this episode uh, makes it to air. And in the comments section, I will let everybody know what I thought of it. Nice, nice, nice. All right. I'll hold you to There's that. your little Easter egg, everybody. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, like, if, if there was one creator who I regret not being able to cover, it's Dan Mandel. Uh, and I think mm. part of it is because of stuff like Domino and just his career on the whole, I think is, is fantastic. Uh, I, I just, um, found out that he is, uh, photographing the God particle, which JJ is producing and, and mm. Doug Jung, the writer of Star Trek Beyond is writing. Um, so, so that'll be very cool, I think. And awesome. that, that's, that's kind of disappointing. Like one of the things is, I'm going to say, I, I don't mean it this way, but kind of a rut that I think we fell into just naturally was focusing on writers in particular, directors too. And, you know, when we had originally sort of come up with this concept, the idea was to be much more diverse in terms of the mm. creators that we looked at. You know, we wanted to look at the editors and the cinematographers and, you know, the, the music people and the production designers and all that stuff. And, you know, in the end, you know, you you start saying like, well, who are we going to do? It's like, oh, well, we need to do this writer. We need to do this producer. Obviously, yeah. how can you skip them? And you know, there's a, a finite number of of things that we can do, especially when we're doing these massive series. So you know, people like Dan Mandel kind of fall through the cracks, which is disappointing. But uh, you know, what can you do? 
is there a particular creator that you wish we could have covered? Like, uh, yeah, I would have liked to uh, look at some of uh, Frakes's Jonathan Frakes's uh, non-Trek work um, yeah. in specific because I uh, when it when it first came on the air, I watched the first uh, two or three seasons of Leverage, and oh, yeah. I thought that was an amazing show. Like, mm-hmm. I loved that show top to bottom. I life just gets in the way sometimes of you know <laughs> watching TV. <laughs> but um you know i i think that he is he has actually had a really great career uh post trek as mm-hmm. you know like i in a sense he's he's almost like um i almost view him uh in such a way where i i have to like sit there and be like oh yeah jonathan frakes did this oh right 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 and he was on next generation like he's carved out enough of a creative niche for himself that he's sort of achieved what i would call shatner trajectory mm-hmm. where star trek is simply something i know that he did in the past and it's not the first thing i think of when i think of him yeah you know i think that that's true i mean to me like i mean i love his performance as as Riker and everything like that he was one of my favorite characters on next gen but when he directed first contact it, that to me is his like crowning achievement you know in anything mm-hmm. I thought he did such an amazing job with that movie, and it it really sort of you know made me a, a lifelong Frakes fan, you know, as a director. So much so that I, I I regret not finishing it. But like at one point, I was like sitting at home and I was like flipping through channels or something, and there was a movie starting up on like the Hallmark Channel at Christmas, and I forget the name mm-hmm. of the movie, but. I saw it was like directed by Jonathan Frakes and I'm like, what? I need to watch this Hallmark yeah. Christmas movie because Jonathan Frakes directed it. And I did watch like the first 15 minutes and then I had to go do something else. But, you know, I, I want to go back and watch all of his stuff because he's such a good director. Yeah, you, you actually, you said something that uh, always stuck with me um, because was, they brought him on in Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. back when mm-hmm. that show was still showing some sort of promise. And he directed the post-Thor Dark World episode. Yeah. The, the one that came right out of it that tied into the movie. And um, the I'll never forget the way you put it was Frakes is the type of guy that comes in and just directs the hell out of whatever material he's given. Like yeah. he is going to take that material and he's not going to he's not going to necessarily rewrite it and he's not going to like blow it up and rebuild it. He's going to come in and he's going to be like, this is what you gave me. Great. I'm going to make this the best what it is that I can. Yeah. And I, I think that's truly him. Like, you know that he is going to come in and he just knows how to put it together right so that no matter what they give him, it's going to be the best version of what you could possibly ask for by the time you get it. Yeah, yeah. He's he's like a true, you know, sort of like craftsman, you know, and, and yeah. I think that's pretty awesome. It's it's exactly what you want from a television director, you know? Yeah. 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 All right. So here we are wrapping this thing up. Do you have any final thoughts on uh, on this show and what we've I, done? I do. Uh, I want to say, you know, we and we had our uh, our little reminiscences at the beginning, but uh, I am incredibly grateful and incredibly thankful for uh, being on this show uh, first as a guest and then as uh, the Charles Nelson Riley chair, I guess you could say, <laughs> and. Uh, I have had a blast. I have been exposed to things that I never would have picked up. I feel that I've gained a greater appreciation for the craft of everything, be it from what I tease you about with uh, masking and Steven Soderbergh to uh, just what goes into making a show. And, uh, you know, I just, 
it's been a privilege and it's been an honor to be on this show. And as an added bonus, I can count you as a friend, which is an amazing thing in and of itself. Because, ladies and gentlemen, Mike Schindler is a great guy and so incredibly difficult to fluster. <laughs> and I make it my life's mission to find ways to make that happen. <laughs> well, I mean, the same thing can be said about you, John. You know, I mean, it, it's weird. And, and like, I feel like it's sometimes I feel like, what did I, I miss? Because like, I don't remember like the moment where we yeah. like, you know, <laughs> met each other, essentially, you know, it happened on Twitter, but I'm like, why was I following this guy? I don't understand, yeah, you know, know, but you know, it was like one of those things where it's like a, a very, you know, happy, whatever, you know, a very happy follow because yeah, I mean, th- this yeah. show has been very rewarding to do, you know, and I think that's, like a big thing to me about this and as an extension Trek FM and as an extension of that Star Trek podcasting on the whole and everything is it's a really great community you know and and there's this thing which I think tends to happen with anything where there's like a a a natural competition you know I mean like that's definitely something that I, I felt in film school where, you know, everyone is trying to stand out. And because of that, like, no one is working together. And, uh, you know, one one of the things which I always regret about film school was not working together with my classmates and saying, like, that guy is a really good cinematographer. I'm not, but I can edit. Why am I not working with him instead of trying to compete and him having a great-looking movie, which is cut horribly, and me having a horrible-looking movie, which is edited pretty well you know and because of that you know because I sort of you know learned that late I've always sort of been chasing that that collaboration you know like you Mm -hmm. a a big you know inspiration you know to me and a big influence on me is the uh, the Deep Space Nine companion that that uh, Terry Erdman and Paula Block wrote because it's all about this group of people who came together to make like one of the best shows in television history. Right. And like, I've always been envious of, of that, you know, not making one of the best shows in television history, but having that type of relationship, that type of collaboration, you know, Mm -hmm. and meeting you and then meeting everyone else at Trek FM as well. And everything like that. I, I feel like I've had that experience, you know, I've, worked with a team to create, you know, something which I'm proud of, you know? Yeah. And and something which I could not have done without everyone else's, you know, involvement. And that's, I, I think, the thing that I, I like most about this show, you know? So, yeah, thank you for sure. And thank you for, for listening, everybody, you know? And, and it's, been, it's been great. Yeah, for sure. it has. It okay. Has. Instead of leaving on this, you know, note of finality, you know, not to get all Star Trek three on on you guys because <laughs> you know all, what what both John and I think about Star Trek three, but we're totally <laughs> pulling a Star Trek three here, okay? Yes, we are. <laughs> yes, we and, are. And, and I've tried to allude to this because you know there have been times where I've been like, we've only have two episodes left, and people are like, oh my god, I feel so bad, I'm gonna miss you so much, and I'm like. Well, you know, don't, don't, don't worry, you know, because I, I, I feel like I'm, you know, sort of like 
playing on their sympathies or something like that and being mm-hmm. like yeah mm-hmm. i know well you know i'm it's it'll be good to be missed you know that kind of thing and you know then when you know we make this announcement right now people are like what what oh you guys you're so cheap you know <laughs> <laughs> but what? uh yeah but that's what we're going to do so sorry um this is the end of commentary Trek stars. And, you know, I, I do feel very strongly about that. You know, I always wanted this to go 182 episodes. I wanted it to end with the person who is at the helm in the franchise as we, uh, you know, we're leaving and everything like that, having started with Gene Roddenberry and, and all that stuff. And I feel like as far as this extremely deep dive that we've done we did a good job. We hit everything that we needed to hit. We talked about all the creators that we needed to talk about and everything that they've done, and it's great. But at the same time, it's dense. It's it's a it was it's a really dense show, and I don't necessarily mean that in a good way. I mean there was a lot of good in it, but for a listener, I can see why it's daunting. I can see why people would be like, I don't want to listen to a podcast about a book which i've never heard of and will never read because it's not even in print anymore so so we are doing another show we're doing another show okay there's the announcement it we're calling it stage nine and the reason why we're calling it stage nine is because stage nine is the stage at Desilu, now Paramount, uh, where the original series was shot. That's where the original series sets were housed, and that's where uh, people made Star Trek, you know, yeah. uh, for the very first time, or, you know, at least on the original series. And we are going to be doing a show which is uh, really an extension of this show. You know, in, in a sense, it's kind of a reboot of of this show and it's uh we're getting our abrams on and we're getting our abrams on yes for sure it's it's going to be definitely like stripped down and and sort of like retooled into something which we hope will be a lot more fun for one thing a lot more sort of like conversational and accessible to people and something which is a lot more timely because we we've entered a different point in the franchise than we were at when we started this when we started this it had been four years since any star trek had been made and in the time which we have been doing this show there has been one star trek thing which has been released only one okay Mm -hmm. now as everyone knows we're about to enter a time in which there's going to be a plethora of of Star Trek uh, productions, you know, going on. We've got Star Trek Beyond coming out in a few months, and then of course we've got the new series. And what this means is all new creators, you know, new creators every week. You know, it's going to be like reigning creators, and <laughs> and, and, and I've got that song in my head. <laughs> Thank you so much. No problem, no problem. That's why I'm here. And and we, we really want to, you know, look at that, you know, and, and it's an exciting time. It's like a bad time for us to be leaving in a sense, you know, and, you know, we want to talk about Brian Fuller and we want to talk about, you know, Jesse Alexander and, and you know, the other people associated with Star mm-hmm. Trek Beyond and, and all this stuff and see what's in store for us. You know, what, what can we expect uh, from these new things based on, you know, the stuff that they've done? So we're not going to do these long series like we've been doing before. We're going to be doing, you know, single episodes, which are kind of going to take the format of 
uh, the other shows on Trek FM. You know, mm-hmm. where just like all of the shows about the the individual series are not like episode reviews where they go through the entire thing or whatever. It's more uh, dealing with things thematically and stuff like that. We're we're gonna take that approach. You know. We're going to do an episode on Domino. Okay, spoilers, but we are going to do an episode on Domino. <laughs> yes, and, and you know we'll do an episode on, on Has-Been, for sure. I mean, how yes. could we not, right? Yes. But then we're also going to do an episode on, you know, Brian Fuller, where instead of, like, looking at all of his shows, you know, on a week-by-week basis, we'll look at all of his shows, like, in one week, you know, or something, you know? Yeah. Or maybe just one of the shows that we liked or, or whatever. Stand out. Yeah. yeah, we'll we'll pick a standout and and yeah, sort of uh, come at it and uh, take it apart and put it back together. Yeah, we'll do audio commentaries for various things that we like. Oh yes, whatever you know, it's it's it can be whatever. And there's also going to be a news component to it because there's going to be news coming out every week. You know, the stuff that we've been talking about, of course, you know, like things like you know new creators who are coming onto the show, which is is going to be really exciting. But then also like looking at what other creators that you know exist now what they're up to you know of course you know things like new productions by jj abrams or you know new films by justin lynn or whatever and we're going to keep people apprised of creator news because there's going to be a lot more creator news coming in in the coming months and uh yeah so that's what we're doing How exciting is that too we're gonna have a whole new batch of creators showing up it it is exciting that yeah now, I know that like a lot of people are going to say, like, well, why wouldn't you just keep doing this show and just change the format on this? And, you know, the reason is, well, there's a few. One, it just seems like a fresh start is good, you know, mm-hmm. just on the whole. Uh, I mean, we talked about the unwieldiness of commentary Trek stars. And if you just say, hey, I, I do a show called Stage 9, it's a lot easier, right? It I'm is. sick and tired of typing out these colons and everything. I just wanted to write <laughs> stage nine. Okay, good. But also, like, I think we really want commentary track stars to stand on its own as a complete thing. You know, yeah. I, I feel you know I feel like we we finished it, and I just want it to be there. You know, burn it all to like one. DVD ROM and stick it up on the shelf, you know, where it'll it'll just sit, you know, and this is a, another thing. So, yeah. so that's that. Now, we have done. We've been late numerous times, but we have never missed a week. We have done this show every single week for the past 182 weeks. Okay, it's a lot of weeks. So we're gonna take a few weeks off. We've Sorry. earned it. <laughs> we've earned it we've you know it. we but, but we have a lot of work to do in the meantime you know in terms of prepping the new show we have new mm-hmm. art new new music new everything we've got to get all that's you know set up but also we, we just we just need we need, just need time to rest time to, to sleep pre-production and, yeah and 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 also uh sort of you know I mean, like for me, I know what I'm going to be doing over the next few weeks is uh, watching a lot of Brian Fuller stuff, you know, because yeah, I know yeah. we talked about earlier on this show how I basically haven't seen any of it. I finished I finished his run on Dead Like Me. Have you gotten a hand? You haven't gotten Hannibal yet. No, I just watched the first episode. I liked I'll it be, a lot. Yeah, but I'm trying I'll to go through curious. in order, you know, but I need to I'm, I'm working on uh, Wonderfalls right now. And okay. I'm going to go through 
you know, all of his shows, you know, do pushing daisies and everything. My my goal is that when we come back from the break, I will have seen everything that uh, Brian Fuller has been a creator, you know, and, and show run. So, so yeah, and and just two, I mean, two other things that that you know we're we're definitely going to be doing on this show is uh, continuing the series which we have already started. So you know, like for example, Ten Cloverfield Lane, another J.J. Abrams production. You know, just yep. like we we went back to you know pick up like this you know Tomorrowland, you know that Damon Lindelof did or whatever. We're going to keep on picking up those things. So we will definitely do an episode on 10 Cloverfield Lane. And also, you know, if we're lucky enough, we'll, we'll try to interview as many people as we can. And uh, we also are going to sort of look at not just the stuff that they've done outside of Star Trek, but the stuff that they've done inside of Star Trek as well. I think that, you know, there's something to be said for sort of examining someone's body of work in the franchise and saying, like, look, you know, you see... Joe Minoski's name all over the place, but yeah. like, what exactly has he done? You know, if we just pull out those episodes and sort of look at them, you know, by themselves, what can we can we see about you know what it is that this guy brought to the franchise? So those are things that we're going to be dealing with as well. Yeah, it's exciting. I'm. I think so. Yeah. It's great fun. It's gonna be. It's gonna be something. We're uh, we're gonna refurbish the ship. This is our refit, if you will. Yeah, this is for sure. this is uh, this is the time between uh, between the original series and the motion picture. Yeah, and when we come back, we'll have pajamas and we'll yes. wear them for one episode, and then we'll switch to much better uh, clothing. Yeah, much more <laughs> swashbuckly. Yes. So the new show is going to uh, debut in June. We're still going to come out on Fridays, June third. Uh, that's that's when you can look for us. You know, we didn't want to take too much time off because Star Trek Beyond is coming out in July. Yes. It's just three months away, and we don't want to miss that. You know, we want to definitely be in on the action for that. So, um, yeah, and I mean, like, the other thing that I'm sure we'll do is, I mean, just like everyone else is going to do their review of Star Trek Beyond, we'll do our review of Star Trek Beyond, but, you know, we're going to have a different perspective on it in that we're going to say like, okay, we've spent the last however many months trying to figure out what, you know, Simon Pegg and Justin Lin mm-hmm. and all these mm-hmm. other people's involvement is now that we've seen the movie, do we see what we were looking at in all those other things or were we completely off the mark? It'll be fun. Yeah. Yeah. It'll be, it's it's going to be great fun. Yeah. So, yes. So that, so look for stage nine, June 3rd. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Now, before we go, I know that we're running long. That was to be expected. But before we go, uh, we just want to thank um, a number of people because we, like we were saying, we definitely could not have done this on our own. And uh, yeah, so we have some people to thank. First off, our wives and your kids for <laughs> allowing us to do this. You yep. know, yep. Uh, could, couldn't do it without them. Uh, secondly, of course, we need to acknowledge Max, uh, even though he's not here, he did over a hundred episodes of this mm-hmm. thing. So yeah, definitely. Thanks to Max. And then, you, Max. and then our, our guests, uh, of course, um, Drew Stewart from, you know, Standard Orbit, who there would literally be no show if it weren't for Drew Stewart. Like he's the guy who was like, you should do this on Trek FM. And I'm like, that's a good idea. Thank you. <laughs> Colin from, uh, Trek News and Views. 
John Tenuto, who, of course, has uh, given us a, a whole bunch of uh, info on everything that he comes mm. on to talk to us about. My uncle, Tony Powers, uh, Matt Rushing from all over the network. Uh, <laughs> Augie Alexi, who uh, runs Centuries and Sleuths Bookstore. If you're ever in the Chicago area, definitely go to Centuries and Sleuths Bookstore. It's all history and mystery. It's amazing. Robert Reyes, Mehul Desai, uh, Marcelo Pico from the Talk Film Society, Ben Munaretto, uh, my friend Matt, uh, who talked to us about uh, The Shrinking Man, Rudra Banerjee, who I went to college with and high school, uh, and talked a lot about film and, and everything like that, and he came on the show, Brandon Myers, my co-host over on uh, Commentary Track Stars, Tisto, who is, you know, the the Orson Welles of of audio commentaries for movies if you want to listen to some good audio commentaries go to tisto.com and, and check those out tom elliott who does a twilight zone podcast uh, which is also very good and uh worth listening to matt hansen um who is on upper pylon 2 right now who knows more about star trek than anyone i've ever met uh charlin schmidt from to the journey to the journey to the journey uh, Philip Gilfus, Daniel Prue, and Darren Moser from Earl Grey, of course. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jason Genzer, Steve Roberts, who's now on uh, Trek News and Views with Colin. Todd Gilchrist. Uh, I mean, that, that, okay, I don't, you know, Todd Gilchrist, he's a film critic who I used to read his stuff when I was a projectionist, and we get these, like, box office magazines and then we like connected on on twitter over our love for uh, boogie nights and you know then he comes onto the show and talks about pretty maids all in a row you know which is pretty awesome yeah ben robinson who you know came on to talk to us about maurice hurley you know he mm-hmm. does the eagle moss ships that everyone knows and loves and also uh edited a lot of Star Trek magazines from back in the day, and he told us all sorts of cool stuff about uh, Maurice Hurley, yeah. uh, which was really awesome. Grace Moore from Women at Warp, Adam Drozen, Randon Matala, now on uh, Melodic Tracks, Zach Moore, who does all of our uh, previously on Trek FM spots, and thank you very much for those two, Zach. Mm-hmm. Megan Calcote and uh, Chrissy Lenz, both from Educating Geeks. Yep. And then the creators who came on to talk to us, you know, Ron Wilkerson, Larry Nemechek, Mark Cushman, John D.F. Black, and Mary Black. I mean, come on. Are you, are you kidding me? Yep. Patrick McKay and J.D. Payne, David Mack, James Kahn, and Eric Stilwell. Mm-hmm. Thank you very much, all yeah. of you. You know, we, we really appreciate it because, I mean, you know, we can talk about creators all we want, but hearing it from them, you know, hearing what... what they they've done on this show and outside of the show is amazing and uh behind the scenes uh richard marquez who he basically he makes sure that we don't mess up when we're publishing this thing and he checks everything and fixes whatever is is wrong and if it weren't for richard you guys would never hear this podcast so thank you richard every morning and i know that uh, the you know every friday morning i'm sure that you know he's like God, you know, why can't this guy do this thing earlier? Because I'm usually like editing this and posting it at like two o'clock in the morning. And then he wakes up the next day and he's like, 
now I've got to, you know, I, 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 I'm just trying to eat my cereal, right? So yep. thank you very much, Richard, for, for putting up with, with my uh, tardiness. And, of course, Christopher Jones. You know, there would be no network yes. without Christopher Jones. There would be no commentary Trek stars without Christopher Jones. And also, you know, he he keeps us honest. You know, he, he makes sure that, he does. That, <laughs> that what we're doing is of an acceptable standard. And we really appreciate him for that and for letting us play in his sandbox. So, yeah, thank you, Chris, so much. Yeah, and thanks, of course, to the listeners. You know. Oh yes, I of mean, of course, thanks to the listeners. Yeah, because if without them, what would be the point, right? There thanks would to, be no point. Thanks to everyone who's you know left us feedback on iTunes or elsewhere. Thanks to everyone who converses with us in the Babel conference and everything like that. And, uh, yeah, just thanks for listening in general. Very much appreciated. And thank you, John, very much, of course. Thank you, Mike. And, uh, yeah, we will be back in a month or so. June 3rd, June 3rd, Stage 9. Talking about who knows what's going to happen in between now and then. We could have a million things to talk about in that very first episode. But yeah, in the meantime, I'm just going to be watching a whole bunch of Brian Fuller stuff, getting ready for this thing. The podcasting adventure is just beginning. Mm-hmm.